Good morning. Get that off. All right, well, we are starting a new series uh, this morning that's going to run into 2021. Well, kind of. Uh, Home for Christmas is not going to run into 2021, but uh, we're starting Home for Christmas in the book of Luke, which will continue into 2021. And so Home for Christmas uh, is an appropriate theme any year, but maybe especially in 2020, right? Uh, although for us, you know, growing up in Colorado, I spent middle school and high school there. My wife Trudy was born there. Our kids were born there. So home for Christmas often meant traveling back there. And, and uh, over the years, we've been able to be home. I say we've been here 18 years. I think we've been back to Colorado for Christmas three different times. And one time, uh, a friend helped fly us on standby and uh, that was an interesting uh, journey with two little ones flying standby, waiting in the airport for hours and hours, and yet we really appreciated that, the opportunity to be home. One that's most memorable is uh, uh, we were heading back, and we were driving. We were going to take a couple days to drive back, but this massive storm was coming in, and I came into the office, and, and uh, talking to Mike, I was like, hey, if we don't leave like this afternoon, I'm afraid we're going to be stuck here, and, and so we pulled the kids out of school and packed up our stuff, drove out of Florence about 5 p.m., drove through the night, and the storm deposited uh, about a foot and a half, two feet of snow behind us the entire way across Utah. We actually got to the border at uh, Idaho, and we there's that rest stop there by the canyon, so we pulled over. We were going to sleep because it was like four or five in the morning, and we laid there for like 15 minutes, and I was like, I can feel the storm coming. <laughs> And so we just started driving again. We ended up driving 27 hours, and the storm finally caught up to us in Denver, and, uh, and we drove the last 45 miles at about 13 miles an hour in a foot and a half of snow. And it was so wonderful, let me tell you. <laughs> because we're on Colorado roads with Colorado drivers, and I was like, everybody knows how to drive in the snow. It's beautiful. <laughs> I remember the day in Florence it snowed a quarter of an inch and there was wrecks all over the place. Uh, but, but being home for Christmas uh, is something that is, uh, we sing about and we think about and I think of differently now. You know, at times my mom was helping us, paying for uh, gas money to come home to be able to drive back and to be able to afford to get there. And, uh, and now that my kids are in college, a couple years ago I, I drove up to school at, for Thanksgiving actually and, and drove my son home and what it takes to get people home for Christmas, and now we're trying to retrieve them and bring them back, and uh, just last week for Thanksgiving, uh, uh, we were up at five o'clock in the, okay, I wasn't, I was asleep, uh, but my wife was up dark and early waiting for our daughter to arrive, and I was like, she here? Yeah, okay, good, <clears throat> back to sleep, um, and just to get our kids home and to be together for Christmas, and as I think about this entire story, that's kind of what Christmas is all all about. Christmas is all about the extents that God would go through to retrieve us and to bring us home. And so we're going to be digging into the book of Luke over the next number of months and thinking about that. I read this quote that all other religions teach humanity about how we may climb up to God and Christianity teaches that this is how God came down to you. 
This is how God came down to you is what this Christmas season is all about. So if you'll open up to the book of Luke with me, we will jump into it together and uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us. And so this is uh, what Luke is saying, that there's many who have tried to bring this story together, and so I am endeavoring also to hear different stories. He's an observer. He's actually a physician. And, uh, and we read about that in Luke chapter 4, or in Colossians chapter 4, where Paul's talking about how Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And, and Paul is actually talking about a couple of Gentiles in this section that are traveling with him. He refers to that in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. And so Luke uh, is said to be actually one uh, of the prologues, ancient prologue that set up the book of Luke, said that Luke was likely a Syrian from Antioch. And so Luke, who's compiling this gospel message, uh, a Gentile himself, one of the gospels written by a Gentile, and as a physician, he He's a trained observer, and so he's corroborating stories and bringing people together and hearing eyewitness accounts because he wasn't there. This was a second-generation uh, storytelling of the life of Jesus and the happenings that had gone on, and Luke's purpose was not about compiling a biography, but about hearing the stories in intricate detail of how people interacted with this man this son of man, Jesus. And, and, and therefore, he was focused on people's stories and how their lives were never the same. So as we continue through the book of Luke, you'll notice a focus on people and, and who they were before and how they changed because of their interaction with God well, through the Son, uh, through the Holy Spirit. And, and so this is what we have Luke writing in this vein. Verse 3, it says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Theophilus, uh, who Luke is writing to, but we know that it is intentionally written to him, that he may have certainty. There's a word, epionosco, that talks about having a deep founded understanding of this story of Jesus. And he's saying, I'm giving this account so that you may have certainty in the things that you've heard. And we don't know much about him again. He could have been an Israelite who had been waiting his entire life for the coming Savior that had been promised through prophecy. He could have been a Gentile uh, with no faith to speak of. He could have been a pagan who had been worshiping other gods and false gods for a lifetime only to find himself one. And somehow he had been led to this story of how Jesus had changed other lives. And so Luke is writing to him specifically to, to give him certainty in what the, he had already heard that this could be confirmation of, of the accounts of Jesus that he had already heard. And I like that we don't really know who he is. Because what that means is that we can be Theophilus. That we, no matter what our, our, our background is, can be in a similar spot that this book is written to you so that you can understand and have certainty in the things that you have learned before. 
So I don't know your starting place, you know, heading into this Christmas season. You know, maybe you're tired. Maybe you're, you're stagnant in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't have one. Maybe you're not even sure that this guy is real or that God is real. Or you have doubts that he wants to work in your life or that he has the ability. Maybe you, you are deeply in love with Jesus and ready in this season to share uh, in this season the message of God's love. I don't know where you're starting from, but I love that this book kind of sets it up, that we don't know who he is, but it's written for him and it's written for us as well. So this account of Luke is for you. It's been carefully researched. The story's corroborated. It's not an account of facts or a biography, but it's an account of people's lives as they've been affected by this man, this God, Jesus. People from all backgrounds like you and me. So as we think about that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for being together, God, just being in each other's presence and mostly that we're in your presence. God, I thank you that you uh, are, are the one that draws us and connects us. And those that are online, God, you are present uh, bringing us together as well. Uh, and so we are here to worship you. We thank you for your word, uh, for those that, that have gone before us to, to help us understand. And, and I thank you for Luke, God, in these months just give us insight into your word, into this story. God, help us to relate these things to our lives that we can express them to others, that we can understand your love and then live your love out in our lives. God, I thank you again. And we just ask that you bless this time as we continue to worship you and dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's continue in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And so we jump into this story. Luke doesn't start with Jesus as a child or in Jesus' ministry. He doesn't even start at Jesus' birth. He's setting the scene for us. And so he takes us back to a specific place. Remember, he's a physician. He's concerned about the details. So he's telling us the place and the time and the person and their backgrounds and who they are so that we can understand these people of faith who had lived a committed life in the service of God. God, and yet they were childless. What a thought to be righteous and yet childless, and still, especially in this culture, that a child would be the one to carry on your name, the name of Zechariah, the name of Aaron and their forefathers, and to carry this on in their family, and there would be some shame and reproach for not being able to have children. And Elizabeth would have been looked down upon that she was barren. And they would have been having things said about them. What is going on in their life? What sin, unconfessed sin is happening that they're unable to bear children and yet they were continuing to faithfully serve and minister in the place that God had for them. There's a gentleman who re- wrote a book I'm reading called Exalting Jesus in Luke. His name is uh, T- Pastor Tabidi Anyamwabli. Oh, I messed it up. Anyamwabli. But you're going to be hearing his name a lot in the next number of months, so I'll try to get it down. And he said this, We can be righteous persons in the holiest places, carrying out the holiest acts of worship, and not believe in God. 
Unbelief is that sneaky. That's not necessarily talking about the reason that they were barren and yet this un, uh, unbelief will, will seep in here in just a second. And so we have this story of people who were uh, serving even in their disappointment, even in sorrow, even under reproach and people talking about them, they were still serving. And I wonder if sometimes our service isn't contingent on, on our fulfillment and that they would continue to serve even in their disappointment. Verse 8 continues. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so they would come in and they would light incense uh, before morning sacrifice, after the evening sacrifice. In, in Psalms, David said, O oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Let my prayers, hear my heart. Let my prayers rise up to you as incense. And in, even in Revelation at the end, it says that four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And these angels holding these harps. And these bowls of incense, which it says are the prayers of the saints, and each day they would come in twice and light this incense, and we're going to see if this works. Um, I don't know if it will, but uh, in Exodus chapter 30, it talks about the type of incense that they used, and there was gum resin and frankincense and myrrh, and uh, we have that same combination here. And they would come in each day and they would put the incense in on burning coals and the incense would rise. And it said that it was a fragrant offering. And the people would gather outside and pray. And those that weren't close to the temple, they would be in their own homes and they would lift up their prayers. And the priest, and this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with as many as 18,000 priests that could have been called, and so they cast lots, and one would go in and have this moment that they would be joining their own prayers with the prayers of all the people. And they would go in, and Zechariah, this was his turn, and he went in, and the people are outside, and they're lifting up their prayers, and he goes in, and as the incense is lit, it would come, and it would fill the, the holy place and then it would come out of that and it would rise out of the temple into the heavens as a fragrant offering and the people would see their prayers being lifted up to God as this visual and tactile representation of what God was going to do in their lives. And so in verse 11, he continues, it says, that there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fell, uh, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. And in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so he starts with, don't, don't be afraid. Every time we see angels in scriptures, the people are often terrified and he calms him down. Don't be afraid. And he says, your prayers have been answered. All those times that you have stood outside the temple and prayed and, and, and the, high, or the priest would go in and light the incense and you would imagine your prayers going up to God. He says, those prayers have been heard and now as you come in and you're praying, uh, your prayers are being heard even right now. And I love this story because actually if you think back a few months ago when we were in Daniel chapter nine, Gabriel shows up to meet Daniel at the time of the evening sacrifice and the evening lighting of incense and here Gabriel is again interacting with a man, talking about how his prayers have been heard, that he has been dispatched uh, to bring this message and that, that his wife Elizabeth would no longer be barren. And then within these words, the things that he says that John the Baptist will do are prophecy. Back in Malachi, which uh, was written 400 years before this and were the last written words uh, before uh, God kind of went silent. Silent for about 400 years, this Malachi is written, and now we're picking it up uh, here in the New Testament with Luke. And Malachi said this to close out the book, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day uh, that the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so he says, your son will go out in the power of Elijah. And Malachi, these words weren't talking about Elijah actually returning, but the same spirit, the Holy Spirit that was alive in Elijah would be alive in John the Baptist, even from before his birth. Now this is different uh, from how things had happened and operated in the Old Testament and in much of the Gospels. The Holy Spirit hadn't come on all believers like he has now after the book of Acts. And so to have the presence of the Holy Spirit for a lifetime uh, is different than many had. Often the Holy Spirit would empower people for a time or for a task. But Elijah, now John the Baptist, even from before birth, would have the Holy Spirit alive and living inside of him. Why? So that there would be a people prepared so that they would be ready. Zechariah is one of them. He knew the scriptures inside and out. He should have been ready and he should have been prepared. And I think about, we were, at, uh, uh, in, we were in Washington, D.C. and trying to ride uh, the, the public transit, which is brilliant, by the way. It took a little bit of learning and you can get anywhere super fast, but we would get to, to a train stop and train would arrive. And my son and I, it was our first time there. And then it took off and I was like, that was the one. Yep. That was the one we wanted to be on. We were ready. We were, we were trying to be prepared, but we weren't ready for the actual happening of it. And kind of Zechariah is seeing the same thing as we see in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And so in this moment, after years and years, probably decades of praying, he's not totally ready for the moment of his prayers being fulfilled. 
let alone the Savior coming. And he says, how can this be? We've been barren for so long. We're old in age. How can this come about? And his problems were so big and right in front of his face that he couldn't see the work that God was doing. Verse 19 uh, says the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the, the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And Gabriel's like, who do you think you're talking to? Did you not, I mean, am I not glowing? Do I not have giant wings? I don't actually know that he was glowing or had giant wings, so I don't know that that's the case. But he's like, I stand in the presence of God. You were fearful when you first saw me, and now you're not going to believe the words that I have spoken to you? And then he goes on to say that you will, be, will not be able to speak and probably also not be able to hear for a time until these things are fulfilled. And yes, they will be, verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And so it took place just as it was spoken, just as it, would say, it was said that it would. We're going to jump forward to verse 57. As we do, this is the birth of John the Baptist. Now time for Elizabeth to give birth. And, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called John. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what they, he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessings to God. And fear came on the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. So his mouth was loosened, he could hear again, he could speak again, and his first words were the fulfillment of what the angel said, his name is John. Not his name should be John, we should call him John. His name is John. And this is what I want him to be called. And so John, the name means Yahweh has been gracious. What a message. God has given me undeserved favor. John is the expression uh, through Zachariah and Elizabeth of how God has been good to him, his people, uh, through this family, and this family would never be the same because of it. But did you catch the end of that section? They said, what then will this, will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him? How many times in the book of Nehemiah did we hear that sentence, and the hand of the Lord was upon them? 
and they moved forward in God's plan because they could see God at work in their lives. And these people were waiting in anticipation of what John would do and what would become of him, for the hand of the Lord was on him. This is connected to verse 80 that says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And so that bridges some of the years. And so here we are again. I don't know your starting place this Christmas season, this Advent season, as we think about peace and about God being on the move, and yet he is working. He's working in ordinary people in our ordinary everyday lives and the things that we're just doing. And we should be watching and be ready. Even if you've waited a long time, if you think that I've spent so many years waiting for what God wants to do, you may have been waiting for this day right here. Pastor Tabidi said these words, and, uh, and I read them, and, and I feel uh, that, that this is exactly the expression that I want to, to give to you, uh, to some of you today, and so I just want to read it because I couldn't say it better uh, by any stretch. This lesson applies to older Christians in particular. Don't let age hinder you from God's work in and through you. You are not forgotten in God's plan any more than Elizabeth and Zechariah are forgotten. You're a vital part of God's plan in this church. In fact, without you, we cannot do the one thing Christ commands in Matthew 28, to make disciples. Christ has ordered things in his church in such a way that the older persons among us are meant to teach the younger, according to Titus chapter 2. You're not simply along for the ride. We do not want to put you in a corner and forget about you. It is to our shame that older persons are forgotten in our society. We want to treasure you. We want to remind you of God's plan for your life. We want to see you active and involved in all God has for his church. You'll feel uh, as if young people have passed you by. You may feel that you have little to contribute, but keep living for God, serving him in strength and in the wisdom that he supplies. And that's such a powerful message. We need one another. We have so many uh, young people that don't have mothers and fathers or grandparents in their lives. We have so many young adults, young parents who are trying, struggling through this life on their own. And we need one another. We need you to reach out and to connect in relationship and in discipleship with us. And so this season of Advent and of Christmas, I hope you'll be reminded as we are with Zechariah and Elizabeth that he has a plan for us at any phase in our life. And if you're retired from work, oh good, you can so much more focus now on God's work without having to to, to put in your nine to five. And so we want you to be thinking about that. Maybe you've suffered loss or sorrow or ridicule over the years. J.C. Ryle said this, the sorrow that humbles us and drives us near to God is a blessing and a downright gain. No case is more hopeless than that of a man who in time of, of afflictions turns his back on God. And so in humility, if you've suffered loss, if you've suffered disappointments, this is the time to come closer to God. As we draw closer to him, he will draw near to us. And there's something about this season 
There's just something about this season that like John the Baptist who is preparing the hearts of people, that the hearts of fathers would be drawn to their sons and sons to their fathers, that families are brought back together. And that was the ministry that John had to create a people prepared. This season gives us a people prepared. People hearing and singing Christmas songs, whether they want to or not. You can't go in and out of uh, of Fred Meyer or of Target without hearing the name of Jesus being proclaimed. And so people are prepared in this season. My question is, are we ready? Are we ready to bring this good news of great joy? Are we ready to invite people into our homes, into our lives, into our relationships with one another, into our community groups? That's what's going to be so great, I think, is, as God is continuing to put the plans together for Christmas Eve, I think we'll have opportunities for deeper relationship and experience together through what's coming uh, with that. And are you ready? Are you, are you focused on these things? Who are you connected to right now who's isolated? who is in need uh, of just a friend, or possibly who is in need of a relationship with Jesus. And are you praying for them? Are your prayers going and being lifted up like a fragrant offering? Be reminded in this season to be praying for each other and for the things that God places on your heart. Zechariah had doubts in himself I'm sure in, in his own life, what he had done wrong, I think he had doubts in God. God, when are you going to come through my fam- for my family? When are you going to come through with the Savior? Am I going to live out all my days and never see it? And yet, even in those doubts, Gabriel didn't say, and if you have faith, I will use John. He said, John is going to do great things. God is already at work even amidst your doubts. And because of that, Zechariah responded, and I want to close with his words, as first says, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying these things, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoken by mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sun shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadows of death to guide our feet on the way of peace. Let's pray. God, the way of peace. God, is, is, is a path towards you. God, I thank you that you uh, would give up everything, that you would set down your crown in heaven to walk amongst us, to live amongst us, ultimately to die. God, that you loved us so deeply that you would make a way, God, and you sent people ahead. God, and I believe you're doing that now. I just pray that you would see us in the places that you're putting us uh, to go before you. God, you're at work, and yet you want to put us in, in relationships with people that, uh, that you can come in and, and bring hope and bring love, bring peace, and we just ask that we would be just uh, a beacon of that. 
God, that as we experience those things uh, from you, God, that we would be able to give those things to others. God, you are so good. You're the only one worthy of our worship and our praise this morning and in this season. We just give you that this morning. God, continue to hear our words. God, our prayers, that they would come up to you as a fragrant offering, God, that they would be beautiful in your sight. God, it's all we have to offer. It's not much, but we ask that you would take it today. Amen.